morning, everyone. Welcome to church. Hey, who's glad to be at church today? Come on, let me hear you this morning. Awesome. Hey, it's so good to be with you all. And I just want to take a moment and say hello to everyone who's joining us on the other side of the camera. Those of you who are with us on our online campus and also all of you who are with us right now at our 430 campus. I get to serve as the campus pastor at the 430 campus. So shout out to all my 430 people. Come on, church. Help me welcome everyone who's watching from the other side of the camera. So glad to be together today. Hey, we're one church in different locations. It's like one house, different rooms, right? And so uh, we're just glad to be together today on this Independence Day weekend, everybody. We're getting to celebrate the 4th of July, and I just want to take a moment today and just reflect on that because we're so blessed to live in the nation that we live in, and let us never take for granted the freedoms that we have in this nation. I mean, we're getting today to come together to worship the Lord freely, without fear, without reservation. And there's people in other countries around the world who they're hiding in worship today, hiding for their lives. And so let us never forget how blessed we are. And I just want to say a big thank you to all of our servicemen and women. We have Shepherd Air Force Base right here in Wichita Falls. Yeah. So... Thank you to all of our servicemen and women who put your life on the line every day for your bravery, for your service, for your sacrifice. Thank you so much. Uh, And so we get to celebrate that uh, coming up soon, and and we're celebrating it this weekend. We even got got patriotic popsicles for you guys on the way out the door today. So feel free to take one of those as you leave today at the end of the service. But I want to let you know a couple of things that are going on in church life today, just some stuff that's up and coming. It's the first of the Sunday, and... And as always, we always offer water baptism on the first of every Sunday that's available after every service that we have. And and we would love to celebrate that moment. Maybe that's your next spiritual step to be taking is to go public with your faith through water baptism. As Jesus taught us, we would love to celebrate that moment with you. And also we have Growth Track Step 1 available. Growth Track is where you can find out all the information about how you can be a part of our amazing dream team. And if you don't know what the dream team is, it's our team of volunteers who make this service possible. Every single weekend, they're serving in all kinds of places right now. I can't begin to name them because they're everywhere. Shout out to the dream team. Love you guys. Um, But in Growth Track, you can learn how you can be a part of that team. And we also help you discover your spiritual gifts and your your God-given purpose and calling. And we would love to, to do that with you. And then also just up around the corner is National Serve Day. And we do Serve Day first Saturday of every month, but this one is going to be on July 15th. And we, we just pull out all the stops and we're going all out. And there's many other churches around our nation doing the same thing on the same day. And so we join them to be the hands and feet of Jesus all on the same day. We've got over 30-something serve projects already being, uh, being led and are in the works. And you can be a part of that. All you have to do is download the Serve app. It's a red app that says, serve. You can download that, find City Hope Wichita Falls, and you can sign up for any project that you would like, and it has information on that app for you. We would love for you to be a part of National Serve Day, where we get to just make a difference. Amen, everybody. It's going to be awesome. Um, But for today, we are in the fifth installment of the series that we've been in called The Beautiful Attitudes. And this series has been based around Um, what is known as the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Maybe some of you have heard of the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes is really the introduction 
to Jesus' famous Sermon of the, on the Mount. If you've ever heard of the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes was kind of like the introduction to that message. And there's nine attitudes, nine beautiful attitudes that Jesus teaches us about. And we've covered four of them so far. And what he teaches is it, at the beginning of each one of these attitudes, he says, blessed. So what he's telling us is that there's a blessing attached to each one of these attitudes when it's found in our life. And so we've talked about blessed are those who are poor in spirit. By the way, this blessing is found in some of the most unlikely places. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Meek, not weak, is what Pastor Ben taught about. Great message. Meek, not weak. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you when you're mourning. Maybe you're here mourning today. God says there's a blessing for you. And when we talk about this term blessing, we're not really, the Bible's not really talking about maybe the term you're thinking of. Because a lot of times when we think about being blessed, we think about my bank accounts growing. I got the promotion at work. Like everything's going good at home. Like nobody's getting sick. It's all good. Life's going my way, right? Like that's what we think about blessing. But this, this version of blessing that the Bible is talking about comes from the original word makarios, meaning it's a happiness or a fulfillment in my soul regardless of the things that are happening around me. So I can be happy even if the things happening around me aren't going my way, right? And so what he says is that when you have these attitudes found in your life, you can be blessed. And so today we're going to be covering the fifth beautiful attitude, and it's in Matthew 5, verse 7, and it's blessed are the merciful. Come on, y'all say that with me. The merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And this is such an important attitude for us to have in our lives as Christians. Um, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but when you look around our world, there ain't a whole lot of mercy in our world nowadays, right? Like people are just waiting on you to mess up so they can cancel you, so they can shut you down. They can make sure you never get another shot, right? Like they, people don't really want to offer mercy very much in our world, but Jesus teaches us this countercultural teaching that as Christians, we are supposed to be merciful people. He wants us to be people who shows mercy. And he tells us right here that if we show mercy, if we will be merciful people, that he will show mercy to us in return. And in that way, we will be blessed. We will be blessed by God. So let's talk about what is mercy? Like, what are we really even talking about when, we, when we're talking about this term? The dictionary defines mercy as compassionate or kind forbearance shown toward an offender or an enemy. And that term forbearance means like it, it means to tolerate, okay? It means like I'm going to give you a pass. Like even though you don't deserve a pass, I'm going to give you a pass anyways. I'm going to tolerate you. And I'm not talking about like tolerating your mother-in-law. I'm talking about like, like <laughs> tolerating like an enemy, like someone that you can't stand. Some of y'all are like, my mother-in-law is my enemy, right? <laughs> not me. I love my mother-in-law. Shout out to my mother-in-law. Uh, but, but it's like someone you don't like, someone who's wronged you, someone who's hurt you. That you don't deserve a pass, but I'm going to give you a pass anyways. We could also describe mercy as not giving someone what they deserve. Like, you deserve for me to just like punch you in the mouth, but I'm not going to do it because I'm going to show mercy. And this is such an important principle. 
that Jesus teaches us. And as I was preparing for this message this weekend, um, and, and even as I was praying on the way here this morning, my prayer is just like that this wouldn't just be another like good teaching that you hear. Like, oh, that was a great little message, Caleb. Like, good job, you know, uh, good, good ideas and stuff. Like, my prayer is that through God's word today that we would be transformed by the power of Jesus. That, like, God would reveal some things by the Holy Spirit that, that's going on in our lives. And that he could transform us to be merciful people. Because this is, can I be honest, this is something that we all struggle with. And you're not alone because I struggle with this as well. I kind of wondered, like, why they want me to preach about this? Because it's not something that I'm even very good at all the time. But God teaches us that we have to live this way. We're living in an unmerciful world. And a lot of the world... Um, I heard this phrase, we've become great judges of other people's sins and great lawyers of our own. Like, we're good at pointing the finger and saying, look at what they did. Look at what he did. You're wrong for that. But then when we mess up, it's like, I've got a reason. Like, I know my intentions. And so all I know about other people are their actions. I don't know their intentions. So it's easy to judge other people. But as the church, God is calling us to be merciful people in an unmerciful world. We as Christians, we as believers have to be merciful people in an unmerciful world. And I don't know about you, but I want the peace of God, that makarios. I want the blessing of God on my life. And so this is something that I want to cultivate in my life. So how do we do it? How do we be, how, how can we be merciful people in an unmerciful world? We're going to talk about that for the next few minutes. I want to talk about two ways that we can be merciful people. And then after that, I'm going to talk about four different groups of people that we are called to show mercy to. And we have notes available for you in the worship guide today. If you want to pull those out, you can follow along, fill in the blanks with me as we go. But the first way that we can develop to be merciful people is to remind ourselves of how merciful God has been to us. It's remembering that God saw me in my sin and he loved me enough that he didn't give me what I deserved, but he showed me mercy. And I'm not just going to like remind myself that on Sunday morning, but I need to remind myself of this truth every single day. One of my favorite prayer, prayer outlines is the prayer that many of you know, because a lot of sports teams pray it, but it's the Lord's prayer. And it goes, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that prayer. And there's a line in that prayer that I really love, probably my favorite line in Matthew 6, 12. It says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And what this is saying is, forgive me, God, of my sins. And as you've forgiven me of my sins, I'm going to forgive other people who have sinned against me. Like, I'm going to show them forgiveness as well. But this word debt right here, this word is only used twice in the New Testament. And it's not actually referring to the debt that maybe you would be thinking of. Like many of us have debt and it was more than we could pay all at once. And so we make small monthly payments. Maybe you make a credit card payment. You make a car payment or house payment. That's debt, right? What this is actually referring to, it's similar, but it's actually better translated to our word bankruptcy. It's like I could never pay it back. Like, it's a debt so big, like, I couldn't even pay it off in my lifetime. I could never work hard enough. I could never pay it enough. I could never pay it back. 
And this has a spiritual meaning behind it because Jesus forgave all of us a debt that was so big that we could never pay it back. That in all of our good works, I can't read the Bible enough. I can't pray enough. I can't go to church enough. I can't serve enough to pay for my sins. But God sent his son Jesus to planet earth to pay a debt that I couldn't pay. I was bankrupt in my sin, but because of his mercy, he has shown me forgiveness. And I have to remember that. I have to remind myself that I was that person at one point in time who was lost in the sea of my sin. I was drowning in sin and I didn't know which way to go. I was blind and I could not see. But God saved me. And when I remember that, when I remember that I was that person one time, it makes it a little bit easier for me to forgive others of their sins. It's kind of like this. If we think we can earn God's forgiveness, then we'll try to make others earn our forgiveness. If I try to say I have to be good enough and I have to do good enough to earn God's forgiveness, then I'll try to make others do the same thing. I'll feel like they don't deserve my, my forgiveness until they prove it or until they earn it. And so the question is like, why are people so willing to receive it, but they're not willing to give it? Like, why are we so willing to receive forgiveness when we mess up, but then we're not willing to give it to others? And I think it's simple. I think it's just that we forget. I think that we forget the mercy that God has shown us. I think we forget about it. Like, we get saved, we get set free, and we get to live in our lives, and we get to do in our thing, and we just forget. And we have to remind ourselves that God sent his son Jesus to pay a debt we could never pay back, to pay our sin debt. Come on, church. Can we take a moment and give Jesus praise because he has set us free, because he forgave us a debt that we could never pay back. And so the Bible tells us here, it says in Ephesians, it says, God's mercy is so abundant and his love for us is so great that while we were spiritually dead in our disobedience, he brought us to life with Christ. That it is by God's grace that you have been saved. And so when I realize that by God's grace I've been forgiven, I've been saved, it's easier for me to show forgiveness to others. It's simple that the forgiven forgive. When I realize I've been forgiven so much that God set me free from, the, from my past mistakes, the things that I did wrong, my deepest, darkest secrets, God has forgiven me. The forgiven forgive. It's easier to forgive other people. Now, the second thing, how do I be a merciful person in an unmerciful world? I have to remember, so I'm going to remind myself of what God's done for me. But secondly, I'm going to remember that there's coming a day when I will face God. And we come to church to be encouraged and for our faith to be stirred and to be lifted. And and when you leave today, I want you to leave feeling better than when you came. I want you to feel encouraged today. But sometimes in church, we also have to face some hard truths. And this message, I realize, can be a little bit of a tough pill to swallow. Um, But sometimes we have to face hard truths. And one of those hard truths is that one day, each and every single one of us are going to face God. We're going to give an account for the life that we live. We're going to be judged before God for what we do with our life. And I want you to be prepared. I want you to be ready for that day. I don't know if you were like me, like when you were in school that the teacher gave an exam and you started looking over the exam and you realized, I don't know none of this stuff. I don't know anything. And in my mind, I was like, she didn't cover this stuff. She didn't go over this stuff. 
parents are like, why do you fail that test? They didn't even teach us that stuff. We didn't even go over that stuff. They might have really taught it, and I just wasn't listening. But to me, it was like, we didn't even learn this. I knew I failed that test before I ever even turned it in, right? Hey, can I tell us, church, that there's a final exam coming. It's this day when we're all going to face God. And I want us to be ready. I don't want you to be able to say, hey, they didn't cover that one at church. We're covering it today, okay, everybody? We're going to go over it today. I want you to be ready for that day when you stand before God. And earlier, just a second ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer, where it talks about forgiveness and forgiving their debts. And the Lord's Prayer finishes out there in the book of Matthew. And then the very next verse, the very next thing that comes out of Jesus' mouth after he recites the Lord's Prayer, right here in Matthew 6, verse 14, he brings up this topic of forgiveness again. And he says, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father is also going to forgive you. So if you want to be forgiven, you got to forgive. And, but then he flips it around and he says, but if you do not forgive others of their sins, then your Father will not forgive you of your sins. So if I want to be able to face God without fear... It's very clear that I have to forgive others of their sins. When people hurt me, when they sin against me, I have to forgive them. And this idea of mercy is something that Jesus took very seriously because in the Bible we see that he he talks about this, but he also tells us stories about unmerciful people. And what we, we, we rarely see the anger of God, especially in the New Testament, we rarely see the anger of God. But if there's one thing that really angers God, it's when we receive mercy, but we refuse to give it. Jesus tells story. He tells a parable about this. Um, and really what that is, is just a make-believe story, but it has a spiritual meaning behind it. Jesus was using it to teach a principle. And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, if you want to study this later, just jot that verse down because we don't have time to go through all the details of it today. But in Matthew chapter 18, verse 21, what we see is the disciple, Peter, goes to Jesus and he asks Jesus, he says, what if someone sins against me and I forgive them, but then they do it again and then they do it again and again and again? He says, should, should I forgive them, Jesus, up to seven times in a day? And I think when Peter said up to seven times, like, he thought he was being real holy, right? Like, he was like, should I do it up to seven times, Jesus? And Jesus was like, how about 70 times seven? Like, multiply that by 70, and then you'll be there in a day. Which, by the way, the math on that is 490 times a day. I did the math. If you, if you forgave someone 490 times in a 24-hour period, like, let's just say you didn't sleep, like... First off, you probably wouldn't be able to do it if you didn't sleep because you'd be so ill. But if you didn't sleep for 24 hours and, and you forgave someone 490 times, that's every three minutes you're forgiving someone. That's a big deal. Like, like that's a big deal right there. Every three minutes. He says, forgive them 70 times seven. Amen, everybody? Amen. Either amen or oh me. Like, I don't know. But it's one of the two. But, but right after that, he tells us the parable. He says there was a king, and there was someone who owed the king a big debt, 10,000 bags of gold. And in modern day, that value would be $5 billion, like B as in boy, billion, not million, billion, $5 billion. That's a lot of money, everybody. Y'all with me on that? 
if that's not a lot of money to you, let's be friends. Meet me after the service. We need to be friends, okay? $5 billion. The king goes to this man who owes him this amount of money, and he just, for no reason, cancels his debt. He says, you don't have to pay me back. I forgive the debt, canceled, gone, done with. The same man who was just forgiven this huge debt goes and sends one of his servants to find a man who owed him what our money would be, $10,000. Like, $10,000 is a lot of money, but two things. One, it's payable. So, like, we could probably all figure out a way to pay $10,000, and we would probably really struggle to pay the $5 billion, but we could probably figure out a way to pay $10,000. And two, like, $10,000 is nothing in comparison to what he was just forgiven. But he sent his servant to find this man to make him pay him this debt. He was just forgiven such a huge debt, but held someone else accountable and didn't forgive a debt that was much smaller. And when the king heard about this, he found the man and he had him thrown into prison to be tortured until he could pay his debt off. And what this is, is it's a picture, it's a picture of, of God. Jesus is our king. And if you don't forgive others of their sins, God's not going to forgive you of your sins. So what do you want? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be forgiven? For me, I want to be forgiven. And so he chooses to show mercy. But when he throws him in jail, the king says this. He says, shouldn't you have shown mercy on others just as I had mercy on you? And I think that's a picture of like the day that we stand before God. I don't want to hear this. But what James tells us here is that he says, you must show mercy to others or God won't show mercy to you. When he judges you on that day, when you stand face to face with God. But the person who shows mercy can stand without fear at the judgment. If you don't want to be afraid of that day, show mercy to others. Show forgiveness to others and you don't have to stand in fear that day. Amen, everybody? Now, this is actually more than just like a good teaching. This is more than just a good idea. It's actually a requirement from God. It's something that he actually calls us to do. And we see this in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, what does the Lord require of you? What does God require of us? He requires that we act justly. Look, love mercy and walk humbly with your God. This is a calling, church. This is more than just like a good suggestion or a good idea. God calls us to show mercy to people. He, he calls us to show forgiveness, to show mercy, because God knows that when you choose to release others, it brings not only a blessing from God to you, but it frees you from all the guilt. It frees you from all the shame. It's like a weight that's lifted off of your chest. God knows what you need. And so he's not just trying to tell you to do something hard because he wants you to just, he just wants you to do hard things. He knows it's going to be good for you. He knows it's for your benefit. Yeah. That's why the word tells us that all things work together for our good. Yeah. All things work together for our good. And so he calls us to this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, he says, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we, were, once we regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. And he says, all this is from God 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Now, that's an important phrase because this word reconciled, it's kind of like when you reconcile a bank statement. That means like it all balances out, right? It all balances back out, goes back to zero. So it literally means like to bring back to zero. Like I owe nothing. It, the debt is paid. All this came from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. He sent his son Jesus to save us. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Can I tell you, Christ showed us the ministry of reconciliation. He didn't stop there, though, because he gave it to you. You might say, I don't want that ministry. But he gives it to you. If you've received forgiveness, he gives you the ministry of reconciliation to others. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. Look, I want you to pay attention to this verse. Not counting people's sins against them. You see that? He was reconciling the world through Christ. He was saving them and not counting their sins against him. And too long the church has been like, but they sinned. They got to pay. But it's not our job to make them pay. It's not our job to judge them. He called us to be witnesses, not judges. God himself wasn't counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. He didn't call you to judge people. He didn't call you to point out how bad and how dirty and how rotten people are. He called you to do the ministry of reconciliation, to help bring people to Christ. And that's why here at this church, we're committed that you'll never hear us preach a message talking about how dirty, how bad, how sinful, how wrong you are. Like people already know their flaws. They don't need to come to church and be reminded, everybody. Like we don't need that. And that's why we're not going to preach that way is because it's not helpful. Does that, does that mean we're not going to preach the truth? That's what some people will say. We all just don't preach the truth. No, that's not what it is. We're going to preach the truth. We're going to talk about sin, but we're going to talk about the ministry of reconciliation that, yes, your life may be marked by sin right now, but you know what? God loves you anyways, and he sent his son Jesus for you, and that you can find freedom in Christ. There is freedom for you in Christ. And what this is, is it's the ministry of mercy. It's showing mercy to others. Now, there's a quote by C.S. Lewis, and he says, you want to know what it means to be a Christian? To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in me. So I forgive the inexcusable for others, because God did the same thing for me already. And so who? Who do we do this for? Who are the groups of people that we do this for? Four groups of people. The first group is we're called to show mercy to those who make mistakes. And it saddens me that the church, the religious people, for so many years has gotten this one wrong. We've been quick to point a judgmental finger without looking in the mirror to look at the log that's in our own eye first. We've been quick to to point the finger at the world and at the sinner and talk about how wrong they are. But as a church, we're supposed to take on the spirit and the nature of Jesus. Matthew, one of the disciples of Christ, he was a tax collector before he became a disciple. Tax collectors in this day were known as thieves. And Matthew, God gave Matthew a revelation about the nature of Jesus, about the spirit of Jesus. And he says it right here, Matthew 12, 17. He says, this fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, concerning Jesus. And here's the prophecy. Look at my servant, talking about Jesus, whom I have chosen. He is my beloved 
and he pleases me. And he goes on to say, he will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. What does this mean? It means he, he won't crush the weak reed. He won't snuff out a flickering candle. That means all the people that, that the world thinks, hey, you're too far gone. God can't use you. You're too far gone. You've done too much. He doesn't crush the weak reed. He doesn't put out the flickering candle. Those are the people who he calls. Those are the people who he shows mercy to. Those are the people that he chooses to use. And Matthew says that that was the spirit and the nature of Jesus. And we as the church have to take that same spirit because we are supposed to look like Jesus. We're supposed to look like Jesus. We shouldn't be a group of people who's known for what we're against or who we're against. We shouldn't be a group of people who's known for judging people. I've heard over and over again people say, well, I don't go to church because I don't want to be judged. We shouldn't be known as that group of people. We should be known for leading people to freedom. That, that we're not, we're not going to condemn you. We're here to bring you to freedom. We're here to help you. We're here to show you mercy because mercy triumphs over judgment. And it's like for too long the churches have this verse like flip-flopped. Like judgment triumphs over mercy. No, mercy triumphs over judgment. And we're supposed to show mercy to those who have made mistakes. Second group, we're supposed to show mercy to those who have let us down. And this one gets really personal because we have to show mercy to people who have harmed us or hurt us personally. And I want you to imagine this. Jesus on the cross. Get this picture in your mind. Jesus hanging on the cross. He's been whipped 39 lashes with the cat of nine tails, which was a whip that had strands of leather with glass and bone and rock tied all throughout him. Literally ripped his flesh from his body. 39 lashes was known as him literally being whipped to the brink of death, the point of death. He's been whipped. His beard has been plucked out of his face. He's been spit upon. He's been jeered at. They, they said things sarcastically like, all hell king of the Jews. All hell king of the Jews. Oh, are you really the Messiah? If you were the real Messiah, you would save yourself. Bring yourself down off that cross. Saying things like that, making fun of him. And you know, the truth be told, like Jesus having all authority and power, he could have called a legion of angels to come and defeat his enemies and to take him off the cross and, and bring him to heaven and, and protect him. But he chose mercy. And he endured the cross. He stayed on that cross. He completed the work and he chose mercy. And because of that, we follow him to this day. We follow Jesus today because he showed mercy. And when he was on that cross, all of this is happening. You know what the first words that came out of his mouth were on the cross? Father, forgive them. Can I tell you, it doesn't get any more personal than what Jesus went through. I, really, I don't want to minimize what you may be going through today. I realize you may be going through some really hard and difficult things. But it doesn't get much more personal than this right here. What Jesus had to go through. And he showed mercy. And a lot of us will say, yeah, but that's Jesus. I mean, it's Jesus, duh. Like, of course he did. It's Jesus. Like, he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. I mean, like, it's Jesus. He, he like, why am I, why do I got to do it, right? But it's like, if you call yourself a Christian, that means you're a follower of Christ. It's not just, oh, Jesus did it, and, and so I'm good. 
No, it's us. He calls us to do it. The Bible calls us to do the same thing, to show forgiveness to people who have wronged us, even when it was personal, to forgive them. And Colossians tells us, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility, gentleness, patience. you got to clothe yourself with, with this. That means it's not natural. Like, it didn't come with the birthday suit, everybody. It's something you got to put on every morning. It's something you got to go to the closet and say, hey, today I'm going to show mercy. Today I'm going to be compassionate. Today I'm going to bear with each other. We're going to bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So I want you to think about that. Think about that person you have a grievance with or those people, okay, that you have a grievance with. After the first service, somebody said, you said think about that person. I got like five, so (laughs) I'm with you, though. I mean, like, there's people in my life who I have grievance with. And, like, you think about that person. You think about what happened. You know, when I think about that, what I think, I'm right, they're wrong. Like, and they deserve it. But God calls us to show mercy. God calls us to show forgiveness, even to that person that we have a grievance with, Right now, we have to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. The third group of people is we're called to show mercy to those who are far from God. And this one's really important because if there's a group of people who God loves passionately, it's his lost kids. It's those who are far from him. And that's why at City Hope, we like to say that this church, it's not a country club for Christians. It's a hospital for hurting people. Like, this, is, this isn't just like a good socializing club for you to come and socialize with other Christian people. That's not what this is about. This is a hospital for hurting people. Yeah. And that's why we want to be the kind of church that we make room on our row for people who are lost in sin. People who their life is all jacked up and all messed up. People who you thought they would never walk through the doors of a church. We make room for people like that on our road. We say, hey, come sit by me because you belong here even if you don't believe. Even if you don't believe in God yet, you have a place here. You belong here. This is a church for you. Can we be that kind of church? Can we be that kind of church here that we open the doors for those people? And the religious people won't like that. The religious people will say things like, oh, they just let anybody in down there. Like, what are, they, what, are you supposed, what are we supposed to do? Like, that's the whole reason we're here. And like the religious people in Jesus' day did the same thing to him. Because Jesus spent his time with sinners and tax collectors and thieves. He had harlots wash his feet. That's the people who Jesus spent time with him. And the religious people of the day, they, they said, there's no way he could be the Messiah. The Messiah wouldn't spend time with people like that. They, they thought he couldn't be the Messiah because of who he was around. But what we see in the book of Matthew is that Jesus spent time. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So they're having this meal together. And when the Pharisees, the religious of the day, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does our teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? Why, why does he eat with them? On hearing this, Jesus responded and said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Like, they're the ones I came from, so of course I'm going to spend time time with them. They're they're who I'm here for. And And Jesus said, but go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
For I've not come for the righteous. I came to call the sinners. Like, have you ever thought about that? When Jesus was handpicking his group of disciples, like, why was it that most of the people he called were like tax collectors and fishermen and businessmen? It wasn't like the priest. He came because he came for the sinners. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sick. He came to, to save those who were lost. That's who he came for. And so to set it up for the last group of people is we got to forgive those who are far from God. we got to show mercy to those far from God. But there was a study done to, to find out who was the most difficult person to, to, to forgive? Who's the diff, most difficult person to show mercy to? Like, is it your mom? Is it your eighth grade coach? Is it your siblings? Like, who was it? And the results came back that the most difficult person that the majority of people said to forgive was themselves, Amen. ourselves. And so maybe you're here today in the room, and truth be told, the person that you need to show mercy to is you. Is yourself. Because I can tell you that God's here today to show you mercy, that He loves you, that He sees your, your flaws and your mistakes, and He sees everything that you've done wrong, and He loves you anyways. But you've got to believe that. And you've got to show that mercy to yourself. Maybe you're here today and you feel like David did in Psalm, where he says, I'm drowning in the flood of my sin. They're a burden and they're too heavy for me to bear. Because I've been foolish, I'm utterly worn out, and I'm crushed, and my heart is troubled. Maybe you feel that way today. You feel like you've let your family down, you've let your friends down, you've let everyone around you, and, and you even feel like you let God down. Can I tell you, you didn't, not even for a second. Because God sees the end from the beginning. The Bible says that God sees the end from the beginning. He's seen your life, the end from the beginning. He knows the story of your life, and guess what? He loves you anyways. He knows everything that you've done wrong. He knows your deepest, darkest secret. And he loves you anyways. Yes. And maybe you just need to show some forgiveness to yourself today. The Apostle Paul had to do this. The Apostle Paul wrote over a third of our New Testament. And here's what he said in 1 Timothy 1. He says, once I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. He persecuted Christians. He was... He lived his life at one point. Literally, the purpose of his life was to kill Christians because he didn't believe in God. He said, I was a persecutor. I was a violent man. And he said, but I was shown mercy. Why? Because I acted in, in unbelief and ignorance. God showed me mercy. Paul had a rough past. He did a lot of things. A lot of people would have said, hey, that guy right there, he's too far gone. He's done too much. He's gone too far. But he said, I was shown mercy. And he said, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And he says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into, into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So he said, I, I've had a rough past. I've done some things, but God's shown me mercy. You know why? Because that's the reason he came. That's the whole reason he came. Was for those who were lost. For those who are far from God. For those who needed mercy. He's why. That's why Jesus came. And I want you to know today, church, it doesn't matter what your life may look like. You may feel lost in your sin today. But God is here for you. 
and he's ready to show you mercy with his arms open wide. Amen, everybody? Hey, if you would bow your head, close your eyes with me. I want to take a moment to pray for you. God, today I just lift up every person in this room. God, I want to specifically pray for those people who maybe they feel like David, that they're drowning in a sea of their sin. God, they're burdened and they're worn out. They feel like they've let everyone down and they even feel like they've let you down, God. I lift those people up to you today. God, help us to receive your mercy. Help us to receive your love. And God, help us to leave this place, not only freely receiving your mercy, but giving your mercy, freely showing mercy to others. Help us to be ministers of mercy today. And with your head still bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you're here today. And by the way your life has been going, like you, you would say, I'm not even a Christian. Maybe you are a Christian, but maybe you're far from God right now. Maybe you, you would just say, my relationship with God is not right. It's not where it's supposed to be. I actually need to receive mercy today. Like, I need to receive the mercy of God. I want you to know that, that God is here for you today. I want you to know that He loves you. He loves you with a passionate love that you couldn't even imagine. You're His child. And he desperately wants a relationship with you. And so I want to give you the opportunity to begin that relationship today. He's here. But you got to make that decision. you got to make the, the next move. And so I'm going to count to three. And if that's you today, you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. You want to go all in. Because I was thinking about this. Like if we're going to be people of mercy, that's not something you can just get some coaching on and fix that one part of your life. you got to go all in. you got to fall in love with Jesus. You gotta have a relationship with God if you're gonna be a, a person of mercy. But if you wanna receive that mercy today, I want you to just lift your hand on the count of three. I won't call you out or embarrass you, but I'm gonna lead us all in a prayer. If that's you today, I'm going all in. I wanna say yes to Jesus and begin a relationship with him. One, two, three. If that's you, lift your hand. I see you, I see you, thank you. God bless you. I see you up top. God bless you, ma'am, and you, ma'am. I'm so proud of you. I see you. Thank you. God bless you. I see you too. So proud of each and every one of you making that decision. I see you and you and you. God bless you. God bless you. So proud of you. God's here for you. He loves you. Awesome. Hey, let's pray this prayer together, church. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, I need you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace that was displayed for me on the cross. You gave your life for me. Today I give you mine. I believe that you are the true and living God. That you died and rose again. And with every part of my being, I'm going to follow you in your way. Thank you for blessing me and for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, put your hands together, church. Help me congratulate every person that prayed that prayer.